Technicast hosts the research platform Invitations for a series of four conversations. Invitations is part of a series of online events around the topic of creative invitations and the relationship between maker, subject, screen and audience in moving image work, as well as wider contexts of artistic practice. This series came about through conversations with three fellow Techno-funded PhD students, Judah Atil, Mark Ariel Waller and Astrid Corporal. This conversation is an Arts and Humanities Research Council funded event as part of the Techno Consortium for PhD Research Studentships. My name is Teresa Henningsen. I'm here online with Juliette Chauffet, filmmaker based in Brussels um, and a close collaborator of mine for many years. It was funny because I just started this morning just to have a look through when we first kind of started this conversation. Um, but yeah. it came out of um, me having watched your film um, next year, we will leave or l'année prochaine on partira. I then responded to in an email to you kind of saying how it reflected some of the things that I've been thinking about as well. And in my work yeah. and which you, I guess, kind of knew, but we were trying to kind of articulate what those interests and motivations and processes, what they shared somehow. So maybe the first question to, to you, I would ask, would be to kind of talk a little bit about how you see your process of working in this particular film and, mm -hmm. and how it reflects this idea of seeing yourself in other people? I mean, at the beginning of this project, I did not really tell myself that it was going to be the intention. Mm. Like, I didn't think, like, I'm going to make a film where I make portraits of strangers and in them I'm going to see myself. That was definitely not something conscious or uh, even not uh, an intention to begin with. Like, my idea was, actually, it's actually funny that you ask this question about the premise of this project because you are part of it as well in some ways that you had once told me about the Paris syndrome and about the Japanese people who go to Paris and uh, have these big expectations because they saw what the city movies and adverts and stuff and then they arrive and it's completely different and it's not as um, amazing as it was uh, in their mind and so they they are so distressed that they they have these terrible reactions and they go to hospital and they go back to their country. I don't know, it hit a nerve somehow, but I could not really pinpoint what it was, but it really stayed with me until five years later when I started thinking about this project. And, uh, and I think it stayed with me because it hit something very personal. So the beginning of the, the project was more like, oh, the Paris syndrome, that reminds me of why I left Paris. Mm -hmm. because somehow <laughs> it was not uh, what it should have been for me, not because I was a stranger, a foreigner expecting all these things, but because it's also to do with my relationship with my father, who is a filmmaker and who always was a big dreamer. So I, I grew up in this constant expectation of something else than reality that was more fascinating than reality or something, but that never happened. And I thought, this is funny, you know, like there are these people who, go to Paris because uh, it represents a dream for them. And I left Paris because it was the opposite of 
the dream or something like that. And I, there was something that intrigued me in this. I would say maybe the first impulse was really, maybe if I meet all these people who love Paris, I'll be able to love it again. That kind of very personal starting point kind of straight away mixed a personal storyline and encounters with strangers, foreigners even. I got straight away drawn to also a style which was in between autobiography and encounters. I thought, I don't know, I had not seen many films like that. So, so in a way, like, uh, it was already there what you were saying, this kind of seeing yourself through people, but I never, like at the beginning, I didn't think of it as clearly, but eventually then in the editing process, that's what it became. I mean, it's interesting also because it, yeah, questions this role of the director or what what a director is or can be and thinking about maybe a director more as a drifter than yeah. a director and kind of responsive to what you encounter and who you encounter right and again maybe relates to this what you were saying before about it being to do with life rather than just with film I mean I guess all working processes do affect you but what are you searching for in that working process Indeed, I mean, there are different ways or impulses in making a film. And I don't think every filmmaker has an urge to make film in such a directly personal way, because as you say, like every process, every film is somehow reflecting the filmmakers, if not life sensitivity or approach or whatever. But like, indeed, this need to, yeah, to be affected so directly or to put yourself as a character or something like that it's a particular way of doing that not everyone feels uh, compelled to do and um, and I think when you are compelled to do that because you're so part of it even more so than maybe when you're doing something where you're more outside you have even less control on what's happening that's maybe how you become a drifter as well because you you have to somehow give in to chance or whatever's going to happen and you don't also understand everything you know like for example the people I chose for the film, I also chose them very intuitively. I mean, I had like kind of archetypes I was more looking for, but of course you never meet those exact archetypes, you know? So, you know, unlike when you're making a film about say, I don't know, an area of a city or something like where you, you can still analyze it in terms of sociology or politics, you know, it's, it's more intellectual in a way. You're so involved in it, then it becomes, it overwhelms you somehow in a way that you can't make sense of everything as you do it. It's only afterwards that you have to let it rest. I mean, that's how I felt, that mm. I had to let it rest. And then in the editing process, build the, the narrative as, as we did with the editor. Maybe to talk about some of the people we also kind of have referred to in the process. One of the things that kind of stuck with me when I read this uh, notebook of Maya Darren, where she says, it was no good looking for the pieces because then I would be selecting them according to an anticipation of something and eliminating those which did not conform. If you have an anticipation, you'll also see that in what you encounter, right? Whereas, yeah. and, and we always, we can never liberate ourselves of an anticipations and we probably shouldn't neither, right? But, mm. or of expectations or conceptions and ideas, but the, to nurture somehow a response that allows itself to, drift with what you encounter without kind of saying this is what I'm looking for has felt somehow very giving I think to me both in filmmaking and in life and to think about this question of intention and, and um, 
what makes you do one thing or another while still keeping in mind this uh, openness to chance or what yeah. we call drifting is a really strange and interesting for me at least dynamic to think about. Um, I think that it's also funny when I've been reflecting on how I work, there's often been this sense that I oscillate or like shift between these quite extreme positions of being very insistent in my inquiry and then mm. withdrawn and kind of observant and hesitant in another uh, way. Let's say that I, I would, I, I can completely uh, see that the encounter itself is a drift and that we can be adrift in this encounter because we don't know where it's going to lead. I feel that the drifting happens, but it happens for me after I've had an intention of some sort, you know, a bit, even if it's a loose one, right? To want to make a film without purpose or without a goal is also in itself an intention. Oh, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. I mean, so how, how to negotiate this, is, right? Yeah. Because yeah. to have an intention of no intention is a contradiction, right? What would be a working process where the drift would be even also before the encounters themselves, you know? Maybe I could just talk briefly about how I met the twins, just so that it's... Yes. So I think, yeah, we were living together in Peckham at the time because I was taking the bus from Peckham to Newcross to go to Goldsmiths. And they were on the bus and they were wearing the same identical clothes. And then they pressed the stop button at Sainsbury's in Newcross, but pressed it too late. And then they pressed it again and again and again until Goldsmiths, which is the next stop on where I also had to get off. And so we got off and I was weirdly, for some reason, it was quite odd. I was just standing between them. And then it was, it went really, I, I really hadn't made sense of why I was doing that, but I somehow very quickly asked if I could come around for tea at the house. That's at least how I've um how I've remembered it yeah obviously in relation to what we were talking about before there was for me there was both a sense of you know I've made this decision but again yeah. not making it very clear to myself why right yeah why yeah, am I doing yeah, this yeah. what am I doing even no but I mean that's what that's a very interesting case actually this film because indeed I mean it's a very good example of like how there was no intention of this encounter. It was really like, it's not like you set out to make a films about that. You met them and wanted to go for tea with them and then made a film and figured out along the way what kind of people slash relationship you had with them. Yeah, I think The Twins is a really good example of the kind of drifting all along. It's kind of permeates the whole process because I think maybe it's even stronger in your film because, you know, in, I guess in any, I mean, in a lot of documentary encounters, as a filmmaker, you're not exactly sure what you're looking for in the person at the beginning because, you know, it's a, a lot of the time it's someone you don't really know. So you have an idea, but then you're not sure, right? What exactly could be the most interesting. So I think that somehow was also your position, but that was made much more central or stronger also because they were expecting something of you which then 
made you in an even more awkward situation. It became very yeah. clear in that in one situation, which is not in the film, and I didn't film it, where I had arrived, it was very early morning, and then um, one of the twins, Raymond, he was in the hallway, and, and I was kind of fiddling with my camera uh, equipment to take mm -hmm. it out. And um, suddenly he just, no, he was kind of had this awkward posture, and then suddenly he just pulled down his trousers. And then yeah. he just announced, like, you've got something I want, and I've got something <laughs> I just said something like, I oh, don't do that. You know, that's not why I'm here. And then he just pulled up, back the trousers back up and said, <laughs> oh, yeah, I suppose. we." And then I was kind of thinking, what am I, I mean, should I react? What should I, you know, yeah. should I even stay? But then I somehow thought, no, I'll just stay. You know, I didn't feel scared, really. And I guess there was also something about, you know, the fact that they were older men and not so threatening. Um, yeah physically but then we went to the living room and uh and then he said kind of quite quietly kind of just said yeah you know but just because we get older it doesn't mean we stop wanting those things and and I thought there was like how's this gentle conversation afterwards about love and age what you need when you get older I suppose the kind of fact that you are somehow in a kind of so to speak uncomfortable risky situation then the question is also, you know, what exactly is making you stay? Yeah, I mean, it's quite, it was quite interesting because in that moment of my life, I was, I, you know, I was feeling quite lost. I mean, yeah. anyways, so the kind of questioning of motivations and why, why I was staying and what was this insistence to stay there when I didn't have to, right? And when I, and what was I looking for? There was something about this complete, for me, complete uncertainty about what life was about. You know, this kind of complete lack of feeling of something kind of structuring or uh, something allowing me to make sense of, of life that kind of made me search in the most maybe extreme. Not, I mean, it's not that it was extreme, but like it made me search in something that was so other to myself somehow. It was such a small space that the the dynamic of the encounter was so palpable all the time when, when I was there. Mm -hmm. You said, um, you know, I felt such a lack of structure in my life that I, 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 I looked for something completely other, mm -hmm. which I can completely relate to because that's what I'm, <laughs> I'm like too somehow. And, but like, uh, it's a bit also, it's definitely not, the most intuitive thing to do when you like the structure in your life and thing you I guess the, the most common way to respond to, to this would be maybe to do the opposite you know like have a lot of familiar things or people around you to reassure you or you know make you feel like comfortable in your familiar surrounding you know what I mean like make you feel at home and that, there we go we would come back to the topic of home because you know when you that's what people think about you know you if you feel lost you need home you need reassurance you need familiarity but no you will seek something like complete for strangers who yeah. are like you know what I mean and somehow that's also what I feel like or what I felt like doing in differently but it feels like the same process like I feel lost in relation to my hometown and my relationship to it and my home and instead of and that's also what my editor pinpointed like you go back to your home to feel 
to reconcile yourself. And instead of going to see your old friends or your parents or your, you go and, and, and meet strangers, what the, you know, what's wrong with you? Yeah. Why is the camera ne necessary for this? What does the camera do for you in that search? Well, it just allows for certain encounters to happen. Like just, uh, I wouldn't have met the people that I filmed without a camera because I probably wouldn't have spent so much time in certain places that I don't usually go to, or I would not have, yeah, just gone to certain places. You know, that's that's one thing to kind of randomly meet someone in the street and stuff, but that's, you know, in your case, you just met them on the bus, okay? That's just chance encounter. But in my case, I went really to places that weren't in my daily routine kind of thing. I, and it allows also the encounter to become deeper because if you are engaging in this type of relationship with someone where you're filming them, you are starting a, a somehow long-term relationship, you know, long-term, you know, more or less. But you are seeking more than just briefly encountering a stranger. You are seeking more this sense of creating a relationship with this stranger and seeking something in this encounter than when you're not with a camera because when you're with a camera you're also like record so it's something that's not going to go away it's something that you can go back to so it has like yeah both these aspects of the meeting the stranger but meeting the stranger in a deep way so this stranger becomes a friend is it important for you to hold the camera yourself or in this kind of process in this kind of process yes precisely for that because i it feels like such a intimate process somehow like just it's like a way of getting to know something or someone yeah exactly like it's a stranger who you are having these very personal conversations with and that you're getting to know i don't see what another person would be doing in this situation i don't know it would i would find it very uh, intrusive it's it's strange i mean i would never i wouldn't say that i'm not drawn to other processes as well but for this way of working is definitely important almost to the extent that that it's only me it's strange even for me to think about inviting a sound person to come or anything, you know, yeah, it, yeah. that it's so dependent on a personal encounter that the connection with that person and the way of getting to know that person that it necessarily has to be working on one's own. Could you try and uh, just um, tell me a little bit about those people that you did uh, meet for your film and the journey you took with them? One of them is um, Francesco, whom I met in uh, the Tuileries Garden. I was initially more looking for like a park guardian or someone that was just a bit like a witness of everything that was happening. As I was chatting to the park wardens, uh, he came in to chat with us. Yeah, I mean, I, I was straight away uh, intrigued by him, but then I came back to see him and um, I was straight away touched by um, the fact that he was... So he had left his country of origin, Italy, I think 15 years prior to our meeting or something like that. Uh, but he didn't feel very happy in Paris, although it had been some kind of dream for him, but in a specific way. He was still kind of looking for where he could belong. So he would always tell me of... Uh, this ideal village that he had in his mind, which was somehow in Cap Verde for some reason, because he had seen documentary about it, and uh, living in a community of people. And he was—he had very like uh, visual description of this place that he would like to live 
in one day. But what was also striking is that he was a very lonely man. So he was living alone in this tiny uh, room, which was filled with statues collected all around the city. He was a very lonely man dreaming of another place and dreaming of an ideal community to live with. So he was both dreaming of the place and the people. Yeah, he had this kind of melancholia of this longing to be somewhere else. So maybe it's the longing that I was drawn to, the melancholia. He was not cynical. He was still very, although he was sad, there was something really beautiful about his sense of wonder. I was kind of touched by the mix of his ability to wonder, both about the statues that were in the park, because he was also drawing a lot and he loved statues. So he had this wonder of the statues, and but also the wonders of how he described this ideal place. So he had a, a real appreciation of beauty, both beauty, like aesthetical beauty, but also the beauty of human relationships. Yeah. Uh, and in the same time, a very deep sadness. The, 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 the mix of both, I think, really moved me. So it's, 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 it's paradoxical because this needs to belong, doesn't necessarily, it's exactly what we were talking about before. You know, there's something, a bit paradoxical, but this need to belong and this constant longing for elsewhere because elsewhere is not where you belong. We were similar in that sense. We were longing for elsewhere. We wanted to belong, but we didn't want to go back. Many immigrants maybe share this. Um, how do you see it in relation to, um, because another person who you've, or we have uh, invited to be part of our project, the French writer, Annie Arnaud, and where you in particular were very, Uh, early on drawn to kind of have her as part of our project because of her well because of her writing in general but then you were very drawn to this idea of the the transpersonal eye yeah how do you see that in relation to this kind of way of of working what she means by that is quite precise and related to her work where she writes at the first person but intends to through this personal first person narrative encompass like a whole group of people. So she says, when I say I, I don't just talk about myself, but I talk about a lot of others who've been through the same thing. It's a bit different. Like I'm really interested in this idea that I and the other are very closely connected. And it's not because you say I that you just talk about yourself. And I like this, this strong statement because she has mostly written in the first person and has made it, has really written a manifesto about her type of autobiography, and I find it really interesting. Obviously, like, in also in the way that uh, Next Year We Will Live was constructed, like, the relationship to my story and other story is very intertwined, so that really resonated with her. It's something that you can't really very well articulate in particular funding structures or production structures. It's, it's a different mm. somehow way of working that you have to Im incorporate Mm. into your life somehow or that is already incorporated but that that is very hard to articulate somehow how does this um way of working how is that possible um i think it's a very good question to raise actually because uh it's extremely hard to make it fit in a production structure you know it's uh, well known that to raise funding you need treatments you need scripts even for documentaries and that you need to pretend that you know what you're going to do. So it's completely uh, opposite to what we are talking about. The only way to incorporate it in production structures is either to not start with no money and meet the people, film them or start and then bring in money at a later stage. At least you have more freedom. 
but of course it's very then small budgets or um, pretend that you know apply for money and uh, some people do that as well but it's one or the other and of course maybe it goes without saying but uh, having a good people to work with or like uh, building strong relationships with people or if you if it's a director that produces him or herself alone or with other people learn this you know learn how it works and I mean, I, I guess there are some filmmakers who produce themselves, um, but often they're not alone. I think it's uh, it's also stating the obvious, but good relationships with yeah, collaboration. And right? and, even. Yeah, and friendships. Yeah, yeah, it's a relationship. I mean, also friendships. Yeah, exactly. Uh, even if it's, you know, it doesn't need to be like a hundred people, but like a few will help tremendously, not only uh, in terms of actual workforce, but um, in terms of, energy because that's it like to make a film it always requires so much energy right even if you do it with a small budget even if you do it in a kind of diary style film i mean you'd still have to finish a film and you still have to if it's diary, diary style and you are kind of drifting while you're shooting you still have to think shitloads where you're editing and to have friends and people that are collaborators and long-term collaborators is making a lot of, so much easier just in terms of yeah have summoning the energy <laughs> to do it yeah finding strength <laughs> yeah that's the same thing like kind of this yeah and you know a lot of films is, is a lot about I think making the film is also like having the desire to do them a drive you need a minimum of drive I'm not saying drive in terms of vision but in terms of want I want you know otherwise you don't and and this also comes out a lot through conversations like we're having, through friendships, relationships, you know, people that you share things with that feeds you 